Uh, let's take our Bibles at this time and we're going to turn to the book of Colossians again. Colossians chapter 1. Last Sunday morning we looked at the first few verses of this chapter and kind of got a feel for where it's coming from. And uh, this is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae, which would have been uh, kind of in the region of of Asia, Asia Minor over there, uh, probably, more than likely, uh, Paul would have gotten acquainted with this church through his ministry at Ephesus. If you remember, Paul spent three years in the city of Ephesus and, and was responsible, really, for uh, that church being planted there. And the Bible says that the word of the Lord sounded out from them, and it went out around about the region there. And Paul is writing this letter to one of the churches that he has not yet been to. He hasn't seen these people face to face, does not know them personally, but knows of them through a man by the name of Epaphras, uh, who was probably responsible for starting the church over in Colossae. And so he's writing this letter as a fellow believer, kind of a, a big brother in the faith, if you will, uh, to encourage them, to uh, let them know that he prays for them, that he cares about them, and, and what he desires for them. And we looked last week at the fact that in verse number 5, uh, he talks about the, the rejoicing that, that, that he has on their behalf for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. We talked about uh, just the, the hope that we have as believers in Christ, as, as the redeemed that we just heard about, uh, and that song that was sung about being redeemed. Those who are redeemed, those who are saved, those who know Christ, we have a hope, uh, an eternal and living hope that uh, one day... Uh, when this life is over, that we will go to be with the Lord in heaven. And that is a hope in which we can rejoice. And so he talked about that. He talked about how he thanks God for them and prays for them. And uh, we're going to pick it up here in verse number 9 this morning. If you would stand with me uh, for the reading of the scripture, if you are able. Uh, we are, we're just going to read verses 9 through 11 of Colossians chapter 1. And so here Paul says, For this cause we also... Since the day we heard it, speaking of their faith and the evidence of their faith, since we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, this morning as we look into your word, uh, we want our minds to be engaged, we want to be thinking, we want to consider the things that you have written here, but... We, more than just that, we need your spirit to give us understanding. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would illuminate today and shine light on your word and give us uh, just clarity and perception as to how these verses of scripture apply to our lives specifically. I, I pray that as we allow the word of God to speak for itself today, uh, that, that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, would be glorified and that we as your people would be strengthened and encouraged and challenged 
and even convicted if need be. Father, if there's anyone here that does not know Christ as their Savior, I pray that today they would come to an understanding of the gospel and the hope that we can have through Christ and that they would come to him and be saved today. And so, Lord, just accomplish what you please in your house. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. So I mentioned a moment ago that last week we, we really spent some time looking at verse number 5 for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. We talked about just the, the reality and the confidence that we have as God's people, as those who are saved, that we, we have that knowledge and that absolute confidence in God's promise that when this life is over that we will go to be with the Lord in heaven. We talked about how wonderful of a, a confidence that is, how it gives us stability and, and comfort and help. But, you know, I think sometimes we get very focused on that. When we talk about the gospel, well, oftentimes, even as we're witnessing to other people, uh, our message is all about, hey, you need to get saved so that you can go to heaven when you die and, uh, and escape the, the punishment of hell. And I want you to know that that is a very real and, and, and positive thing about the gospel. It changes our eternal destination. And I'm thankful for that. But, but we also mention the fact that not only does the gospel change our eternal destination, but it also changes our entire life here on this earth. In fact, a gospel that, uh, that doesn't change your life, uh, if it's not powerful enough to change your life here on this earth, why would you expect that it's going to change your eternal destination, right? Uh, uh, no, the gospel is far more powerful than to just save us from the flames of hell, but it actually transforms and changes our lives. When, when we receive Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in and takes up residence within our, within our lives and within our, our, our body even. The Bible says that our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and, and we become a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and we are, we are now living a new life in Christ. I'm not to live according to what the Bible would call the old man who I was before Christ, but I am to walk in newness of life. I am to walk in the life of Christ. I am to let him live life through me. And so, yes, we rejoice in heaven, and, and Paul here is able to say, I'm rejoicing with you and on your behalf that your eternal destination has been changed. I'm rejoicing for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. But he doesn't stop there. He says that we, we're continually praying for you. Verse 3, he said, we give thanks to God and, to the, and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. He said, we're always praying for you. Well, that's a wonderful thing. In fact, I, I mentioned even last week how thankful I am for the people who pray for me. Uh, the people who, have, who will remind me, hey, I pray for you all the time, or, uh, you know, I'm praying for you today. It's an encouraging thing. But really what we just read here in verses 9 through 11 is uh, Paul not only reminding them that he prays for them, but what he is praying for them. And this really is kind of an insight into Paul's prayer list. In other words, we get the idea that when Paul would go to the Heavenly Father on behalf of this church at Colossae, he didn't just say, Lord, would you please bless the Colossian believers and then move on to another church. 
No, he actually makes specific requests for them about some things that he desires that God would do in their life. So we're going to look at Paul's prayer list this morning and see what he is really requesting of the Lord on behalf of these people. I want you to notice that he says in verse number 9, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, speaking of their faith in Christ, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will. I want to just stop there for a moment and mention the fact that this word desire... Uh, he says, we, we pray for you and desire that you might be filled. <clears throat> it, 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 it's not just the, uh, it doesn't just have the connotation uh, like we would say, well, this is something I desire, something I want for you. You know, I might look at my, my children and I might say, you know, here are some things that I desire for you. This is what I want uh, in your life. And I might, whatever it might be, I want you to know the Lord. I want you to be saved. I desire that you would serve the Lord. I desire that you would uh, live a life that is pleasing to Him. And, and, and I could talk about a lot of those things, but this word desire literally has to do with requesting or asking of the Lord. Uh, these aren't just Paul's wishes that, boy, I really want this for you. But he's saying, because of this deep desire, I'm actually pleading with God that these things would be true on your behalf. Okay, what is it that he desires? Notice he says, we, we pray for you and desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He said, I want you to know God's will. Now, this is a really important thing because uh, I think most, most people and certainly really everyone who knows the Lord and is saved would probably say, I want to do God's will. I want to be pleasing to the Lord. But I think if we're honest, there are times that it's hard to really know God's will, isn't it? It's hard to know what decision do I make in this situation or that decision or, or that situation. What, what, what direction do I go? What is God's purpose in my life? What does he really want for me? And, and I would say that's probably one of the, the, the biggest questions that people have as I deal with them back and forth is really how do I know God's will? How do I know what he wants for me in my life? And it can seem at times as though God's will is an elusive thing. It's something that we're pursuing. It's something that we desire. But how do I really know what God wants from me? How do I really know God's purpose in my life individually? And it seems at times as though God's will is like playing hide and seek with us. You know, We go looking for it, but it's always just out of view. We're not really sure what God wants for us. I want you to know that God desires for you to know his will. He wants you to know his will for your life and to pursue it and to follow him. You say, wow, that's, that sounds like a really uh, you know, a good thing, but I just don't know that that's really true. How do I know that God wants me to know his will? Well, go with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. We're going to look uh, at a few scriptures today that I hope will give you uh, some encouragement in regard to knowing the will of God. Romans 12, verse number 1, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy 
acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, listen to this, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So in other words, God uh, has given to us a way by which we might know his will. You, you do this that you might prove, that you might be able to prove out in your life what is God's good and acceptable and perfect will for you. What are you to do? Well, verse 1 deals with yielding. It has to do with submission, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, that we would actually give ourselves to the Lord and say, Lord, whatever it is that you want for my life, I am here, I am open, uh, I, it, my life is yours to control. I think I, th there have been times in my life where I've kind of sat back and said, okay, Lord, would you show your will to me? And I wouldn't say this, but in my mind I'm thinking, if I want to do it, then I'll do it. And if not, maybe I'll go my own way. <laughs> you know, Lord, you show me what you want, and then I'll make a decision. That's actually not how God reveals his will to us. If you want to know the will of God for your life, step one is surrender to it. Well, I don't know what it is. doesn't matter. Surrender. Lord, I am yours. My life is yours to control. Take it and use it however you want. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Notice he says, holy, acceptable unto God. In other words, you need to strive to be a vessel that God can use. You need to strive to live a life that is pleasing in his sight. Uh, it's been, I, I think, taught at different times uh, like this. If you want to know the will of God for your life, uh, there, there is a specific will that God has for you. And it could, you know, different aspects of that would be things like who you marry and where you live and where you work and what church you belong to and, and how you serve. Those things are specific to your life. But there is also a sense in which there's a general will of God, right, that he wants for all of his people. Uh, he desires for all of his people to be walking in fellowship with him and having a, a daily walk with the Lord. He wants for all of his people to be a member of a scriptural New Testament church where, wherein they can serve him and, and be joined to that body of Christ. We understand these are things that God wants for all of us, and we could, the list goes on and on. But the idea is I'm going to uh, give myself as a living sacrifice, and I'm going to live a life that is holy and acceptable to God. I'm going to obey what I know God wants from me, if I want him to reveal the specific will, I need to be obedient to the general will of God, right? So we yield ourselves. We seek to walk uh, holy and acceptable to God. Verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, you don't just blend in and fit in with the world. You actually allow God to change you. To conform you not to the world but to himself and, and, and to the, the image of our Savior Christ. How do I do that? Well, it's by the renewing of my mind. You see, how do I renew my mind? A very simple answer. It's through the word of God. Uh, you, you renew your mind by... Uh, it's like every, every day when you open the Bible and you read the Bible and God speaks to you through his word. It's like you're pushing a reset button... On your, on your mind. As you walk throughout life and in the world, we hear those, 
uh, just kind of all the talking heads of the world, you know, and, and, and we get this opinion over here and this opinion over here, and those things can actually begin to form and shape uh, our thinking. But we're not to be conformed to the world. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So every day we open the word of God and we say, okay, Lord, hit the reset button and, and ground me in your truth and you direct my thoughts and you direct my mind. And the Bible says if you'll do that, God will reveal his will to you. You can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay, so God wants you to know his will. But I want you to also notice here in Colossians chapter 1, he says, I, I, I desire, I pray for you, and desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will. I want you to be consumed with God's will and purpose. Notice he says, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. In other words, in order to discern the will of God and really know what God wants, it requires two things, wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's what you need. Now, <clears throat> there are a couple different types of wisdom the world has a degree of wisdom, that which is learned and gained by experience. But there is also the kind of wisdom that has to do with God's direction and leadership in your life. I want you to, uh, again, hold your place in Colossians, but go forward to the book of James, if you would. James chapter number 1. <clears throat> James 1 and uh, verse number 5. It's a pretty famous verse of scripture, but I want you to notice this. If any of you lack wisdom, and I think all of us could raise our hand there and say in some aspect of life, I lack wisdom. Maybe some more than others, but we, we need direction, don't we? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. If you want to know God's will, you need God's wisdom. How do I get God's wisdom? Ask. Come to him with, with the understanding, I'm lacking in wisdom. I need you to reveal truth to me. He says I, I, in Colossians 1, that I, I pray this, that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom. You need God's wisdom. You need him to reveal truth to you. And then he says, and spiritual understanding. I think it's important that we recognize that there's an adjective before that understanding. It's spiritual. In other words, you do not learn and understand the will of God for your life in the flesh through your own intelligence and wisdom. You don't reason your way into God's will for your life. You need spiritual understanding. That's why Proverbs chapter 3 tells us to trust in the Lord with all our heart. Lean not on our own understanding, right? We're not just following our own understanding. We're not following our own wisdom. But we're trusting in the Lord. And we're acknowledging him in all our ways. And what's the promise? He shall direct thy path. We let God lead. We let him direct. In John chapter number 16 and verse number 13 
uh, Jesus is talking about how he's leaving and going uh, back to be with the Father in heaven, but he's promising them that he's going to send a comforter. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, and he calls him the Spirit of truth. And in verse 13, he says that when the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. In other words, if you want to be led into truth, it doesn't come from here. It comes from the Spirit of God working in your life and walking in the Spirit and being led of the Spirit, okay? So God wants us to know His will, that we would be filled with the knowledge of His will. But that's not just kind of sitting out there on its own, you know, in a vacuum. You need to know the will of God. There's a purpose behind it. Why does it matter what God's will is for my life? Why do I really care what God wants for me. Here's why. Verse number 10. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Here's the reason. Because I want you not just to know the Lord and be saved and know that you're going to heaven. And I don't just want you to know the will of God. But I want for your life to be a life that pleases God. I want your life to be worthy of the sacrifice that he made on your behalf. This to me is a very interesting phrase. It appears a few times uh, in the New Testament, this idea or concept of walking worthy of the Lord. Uh, a few weeks ago I preached on Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27 where the Bible says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. It's the same Greek word behind that. Uh, it, it, it has to do with a life that is befitting of or worthy of the gospel. It, it has to do with the fact that Christ has uh, paid such a high price for you that you ought to want to live a life that is pleasing to him. Go with me back a few pages to the book of Ephesians and chapter 4 if you would. Ephesians 4, we, we find the same word uh, <clears throat> mentioned, all right? Or the same phrase mentioned. Ephesians 4 and verse number 1. Paul says here, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Uh, I, I'm, I'm pleading with you, I'm beseeching you that you would live a life that lives up to the standard that God would have for you, that your life might count for God. All right? One more place I want to take you to show you this aspect of it. Uh, the book of 3 John, just uh, Revelations, the last book of the Bible. Uh, the one right before that is a little book of Jude, one chapter long. And just before that is the book of 3 John, also only one chapter long. 3 John and verse number 6. Or let's back up to verse 3, rather. It says, For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in truth. And then notice this, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. He's, he's not saying, he's not talking about his physical children, but those who he has been a spiritual influence on, those to whom he is a spiritual father, maybe the people that he led to Christ himself. 
And he says, my greatest joy is to know that you are walking in truth. By the way, I want you to notice that this, this is not... Uh, this, is, this would be different than a lot of even the preaching that you hear today. That's kind of all about you and your, your, yourself and your situation. You know, I, uh, I think a lot of people would say, my greatest desire for you is that you would discover uh, your greatest talent and that you would use that. My greatest desire, my greatest joy for you would be if you would just uh, kind of find, uh, you know, just your inner strength and, and be at peace with who you are and love yourself and, 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 and find success. But I want you to notice that that's actually not the greatest thing for you. The greatest thing that, that I could ever desire for you is that you would walk in truth, that you would know the Lord and walk according to His will, that your life would be befitting or worthy of, of Him that you would be pleasing to the Lord in your life. Notice he says in verse 5, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on thy, their journey, listen to these words, after a godly sort thou shalt do well. Those words, after a godly sort, that is a translation of the same thing that we talked about, walking worthy of the Lord. It, it, it has to do with that which is pleasing to God. Listen, I want good things for you. I want good things for my children. I, I look at my children, I want them to be successful. I want them to be happy. I want them to be uh, <clears throat> upstanding citizens, you know? I, I want them to, uh, there's a lot of things that I desire for them. But the greatest thing that I could pray for, for my children, is that they would walk worthy of the Lord. That they would live a life that is pleasing and, and to the glory of God. That's what Paul is saying. Listen, I'm praying that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. I don't just want you to live your best life. I want you to live out God's best for you. I want you to know his will and do it and walk worthy of it that your life would be pleasing to God. He says, being fruitful in every good work and, listen to this, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, he's been heaping praise on these Colossian Christians. He, he's been telling them how their, their testimony has encouraged him. It's been a blessing to others. Uh, and, 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 and he is rejoicing and he gives thanks to God. He's thankful for their salvation. He's praying for them to know the will of God. But I want you to notice that he says, don't stop where you are. You need to increase. You need to grow. Do you know that no matter where you are in your journey... In following the Lord, you still need to grow. You need to grow in your knowledge of Him. You need to grow in your fellowship with Him. This is what Paul says I'm praying that you would increase in the knowledge of God. I think a lot of times we reach a point where we feel that we've kind of arrived as Christians. You know, we've, we've gained some victories. Uh, we're, we don't struggle maybe with the same sins that we used to struggle with. Uh, we're a little bit more grounded than we used to be. There's some maturity there. 
Uh, we, we know some things about the Bible. And you know what can happen? We can become actually spiritually proud. We can be proud of where we are in our relationship with God. And friend, I just want you to know, God hates pride. <laughs> and the truth is, if we're real honest about ourselves before the Lord, we all have room to grow. And we all ought to be praying, Lord, help me to increase in the knowledge of God. Help me to grow beyond where I am today. Uh, over in 2 Peter in chapter number 3, if you want to turn there with me, you're welcome to. But 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, Peter encourages his readers in their spiritual growth. <clears throat> and in verse number 18 of 2 Peter 3, I want you to notice what he says here. But grow in grace... And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Now, here's what I find interesting about this statement, but grow in grace. If you're familiar with the book of 2 Peter, the book of 2 Peter is not a revelation of new truth. It's actually a reminder of truths that they already know. And that's something that, that, that Peter talks about throughout the book. He, he, he refers to it several times as putting them in remembrance of these things. I'm just, re, I'm just reminding you of things that you already know. So these were people that are already pretty grounded in truth. And he's just trying to encourage them to stand firm in, in what they know and, and, and be prepared for the persecution that might come. But at the end of the book... He basically admonishes them and says, don't stop growing. Don't, don't stop growing in the knowledge of the Lord. You know, I, I, I'm looking out today and, and I see young people here. And, and we've got some, uh, some kids in the service. We've got uh, children's church downstairs uh, where, where they're being taught the things of the Lord. And, and we kind of smile and we say, well, that's a great thing. But looking out, I see some folks that have been in this church for 40 years or 50 years maybe, people that have been here a long time. You've been saved for many, many years and decades now at this point. You've served the Lord for a long time. Can I tell you, you have every, but, every bit as much need to grow as those children downstairs do. You might be further along than they are in your knowledge of God, but you still need to grow and increase in the knowledge of God. You need to grow. And I need to grow. We've, we've all got some growing to do. And so Paul says, I want you to know the Lord. I want you to know his will. I want you to walk worthy of the Lord. And I want you to continually increase in the knowledge of God. Grow. Keep growing. And then look at verse 11 with me, if you would. <clears throat> he says, strengthen with all might according to his glorious power. I want you to realize, not just intellectually, I want you to realize what it means to walk in the power of the Spirit of God. I want you to be strengthened with God's might and God's power. You see, one of the dangers actually in becoming more mature spiritually is we do kind of begin sometimes to default to our own wisdom and our own strength. The reality is we could probably all give testimony of the fact that at times we have even tried to please the Lord and serve the Lord 
in our own strength, in our own flesh. I know that I've done that before. There are many, many times that I have gone uh, out on, on, on visitation and outreach and telling people about Christ in my own strength, my own flesh. There are times that I've stood in a pulpit like this one and preached, not in the power of the Spirit of God, but in my own wisdom. I'm just being honest with you. That there are things, there are times, many times, that I have gone about trying to do the things that I believe would please God, but I'm doing them in my own strength. And friend, if you know the Bible, you know that doesn't please God. In fact, it tells us in Romans chapter 8 that they, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Jesus said in John 15 that without me, he can do nothing. And boy, as good Americans, we stand up to him and say, I can do anything I set my mind to. Well, what's Jesus saying? Is he saying that we really are incapable of doing anything unless we're dependent on his power? Well, in some sense, that is true. After all, the air that we breathe comes from him, doesn't it? And the, the, you know, the, the, the blood that's flowing through our body, he created that, and, and he's the one that keeps us going. And so in that sense, by him all things consist, and so we really can't do anything apart from God. But it isn't necessarily true that we can't accomplish anything apart from his power and his help, because we do, don't we? I mean, the, the world, you, you look at the world around us, most of this was built by lost people. The great inventions of all time, uh, most of them were not, uh, didn't come about by saved individuals who are walking in the fullness of the Spirit of God. Uh, they just used their, their intelligence and their brain and their wisdom and their physical strength, and they went and they accomplished something. And kingdoms have been built, and, and all kinds of things have happened in the, the power of the flesh. So what is Jesus really saying when he says, without me ye can do nothing? Well, what he's talking about is spiritual fruit. John 15 is all about the fruit in the vineyard. And he's saying, you, apart from me, I'm... I'm the vine, you're the branches, and when you're cut off from me, when you're not abiding in me, you're not bringing forth fruit that is pleasing to the Lord. You are not walking worthy of God if you are not abiding in me. You're not strengthened by my might and my power. Therefore, you are not producing that which pleases me. So we can accomplish things apart from God's strengthening and God's helping, but nothing of eternal value. Could it be that we are maybe unaware of just how tragic it will be when we stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ with nothing to show? Because all the things that we did, we did them in our own might, in our own strength. Paul says, listen, I am praying for you that you would not only be saved. That's, that's number one. Obviously, I'm thankful that you're saved, but, but I'm praying that you would know the will of God 
that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will, that you might walk worthy of the Lord, that you would be increasing in the knowledge of God, that you would be growing. But most of all, I want you to be strengthened with all might. I want you to learn what it means to depend upon the strengthening power of the Holy Spirit of God. Notice he says, strengthen with all might according to his glorious power unto all, listen to these words, patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. So this strengthening, this might that God wants to offer to us results in patience, long-suffering, joyfulness. What does that sound like to you? Well, let's just go back a few pages to the book of Galatians in chapter 5 and we'll see if we can maybe come up with an answer to that question. What is this strengthening grace that the Lord is talking about? Galatians chapter 5, verse number 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Wait a minute. To be strengthened with might that would produce patience and long-suffering and joyfulness... Oh, what is Paul talking about here? I'm praying for you that you would be filled with the Spirit of God. That's really what he's saying. I want you to know the fullness of the Spirit of God in your life. I understand that the Holy Spirit has been misunderstood and misrepresented in many <clears throat> places that would call themselves churches and by people that would call themselves preachers. And there is a lot that goes on today in the name of the Holy Spirit that has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit whatsoever. But I'm afraid that in a reaction against some of that, a lot of well-meaning and Bible-believing Christians have actually pulled away from the teaching on the Holy Spirit of God. And I want you to know that that is a, I believe it was a tool of Satan to deceive. And I'm afraid that many people have fallen into the trap because many people that know Christ and have the Holy Spirit living within them really know nothing of being filled with the Spirit of God. But in Ephesians 5, I want you to notice that he says in verse number 17, Ephesians 5, 17, Wherefore be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Well, okay, so God does want me to know what his will is. What is that? And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Did you know that you are not only invited to be filled with the Spirit, but you are commanded to be filled with the Spirit? You're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Galatians tells us that we are to walk in the Spirit. So I am to 
live my life in, literally, in the power of the Holy Spirit, that, that the things that He is leading me to do, I am allowing Him to do them through me, and He is strengthening me, and what is happening is, as the Holy Spirit is strengthening me, He's producing the fruit of the Spirit in my life. That's what Paul is talking about. I am praying for you that you would know what it is to walk in the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit. Wow. Wow. What is God's greatest plan and purpose for your life? Ultimately, be filled with the Spirit. If you would be filled with the Spirit, what does the Bible say? Galatians 5.16 This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. God, I want to know your will. I want to do your will. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, being filled with the Spirit really has nothing to do with this idea of you know, I'm going to sit back and, and just hope and pray and wish that maybe someday God will fill me with his spirit. And when he does, wow, all these miraculous things are going to start coming out of me. And I'm going to start speaking in tongues. And, and, and I'm just going to kind of have the power of God on my life. And I can touch someone and they'll, they'll be healed. That's not what it means to be filled with the spirit. Actually, verse 19 here in, in Ephesians 5 says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs... Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, you know where it starts? It starts in your mind and in your heart. The things that you meditate on, the things that you think on, the things that you pray about. You see, as I go throughout my life consumed with myself and the things of the world and all of that, I'm operating in the flesh. But if I will transform that and allow it to be transformed, meditating on truth, speaking to myself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in my heart to the Lord, if I will give thanks always for all things unto God and pray without ceasing, I'll be walking in a spirit of fellowship with God, allowing Him to transform my mind uh, and transform me by the renewing of my mind. And guess what begins to happen? Uh, the will of God is being proved out in my life as I am walking in the Spirit of God. That really is what Paul is talking about here in Colossians chapter 1. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. This was what Paul prayed for the church at Colossae. This is what we ought to be praying for ourselves and for one another. Lord, would you help us to know your will, to walk in obedience to you, to be fruitful in every good work, uh, to increase in the knowledge of God, to be constantly growing, and ultimately to be strengthened by a power that is beyond us, that is the power of the Holy Spirit of God working in us to produce that which is pleasing to him.